Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 474 with my guest Fallon Chavez. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Or would you say it doesn't blow? What's the difference between blow and suck? I think we're going to have to get a grant to find out the difference between those two. I want to read an email that I got from a listener, and she asks, Why are some coping mechanisms considered good, exercising, for example, and others bad, self-harming and alcohol? I mean, I exercise daily, running, stretching, working out, and exercising hurts. Hurts is in capital letters. But everyone says it's good to exercise. I have several tattoos. They hurt when I have them done, but tattoos are now considered okay. I cut myself. It hurts. No more, no less than exercising, but that's considered bad. Why? People say cutting can become addictive, and that's why it's bad. But exercising is addictive too. So what's the difference? These are all different ways for me to hurt myself, feel pain, punish myself and my body. I hate myself and my body. So can you explain to me why exercising is good for you and cutting is bad? And I wrote back and said, first, let me preface this by saying I am not a therapist, so this is just my non-professional opinion. I think the context to look at these issues is what is the motive for what we do to cope? Healing requires coping mechanisms that are rooted in self-love and self-care. Exercise can be a complicated one because on the one hand, we're doing something good for our bodies and self-esteem, but the way we work out and what our intent is should be considered. When it's part of self-punishment or an eating disorder, I think it reinforces things that are a hindrance to self-acceptance. 
Where's the line between pushing ourselves as an athlete because it's part of the sport and something that's unhealthy? I don't know. I don't think liking physical pain is necessarily a bad thing. BDSM with a consenting partner, for instance, can be healthy and intimate. But looking at where we're at in our recovery has to be considered so we can weigh whether it's an ideal choice for us or something that's keep us that's keeping us stuck in less than ideal coping mechanisms. I think talking with a therapist about this would be helpful as so much of this stuff is complicated and can be helped by discovering additional ways of coping that can help us grow. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but I hope it does. And again, this is just my non-professional opinion. We are sponsored today, as always, by online therapy provider, betterhelp.com. If you have never done online therapy from the convenience of your home or wherever you happen to be, uh, you should really try it. And I love BetterHelp. I've been using them for a couple of years, and my therapist is awesome, and she's helped me work through so many issues. And believe me, I got a lot. Um, if you're interested in trying BetterHelp, uh, just go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from this podcast. And then uh, fill out a questionnaire, and if they have a counselor they think is a good match for you, they will pair you up with one, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is a good fit for you, and you need to be over 18. And then finally, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a man who calls himself, insert witty survey name here, and he writes, I saw my wife reading a book titled, When Someone You Love Is Depressed. We started talking about it, and she explained that she was reading it to understand what I am going through and how to help me. She concluded with, reading this book has been really helpful. It's really driven home how normal I am. Every little thing feels like the end of the world. The darkness came so quickly. I was so fucking angry. Make me as close to dead as possible. And I felt so powerless. Without the commitment. If there's a word for it, unbearable. It means somebody else felt this way. The feeling is so intense. It is a lot more work. I was frightened all the time. To feed a child's emotional world. Everyone feels pain. Than it is their superficial world. Everyone suffers. My sexual addiction was the shame. My mom ended up killing that woman in front of me and my brothers. I had to feel that shame in order to feel the pleasure. And I was being a dick to everybody. We are social beings. And the only way you're going to get it out is to cry. We need to be with people. I grabbed them by their throats and led them down to the floor and watched the breath leave their bodies. Maybe listen, thanks for coming in. (laughs) I'm here with Fallon Chavez and Gracie. Gracie has already taken a liking to, to Fallon. Fallon and I were connected by um, uh, a former guest. You had cut, <laughs> cut his hair, and, yes. and he had asked you, what podcast are you listening to? And you yes. mentioned this one. Yes. I had actually cut his hair for like eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Josh Peck, super nice guy. And um, he said, you should record Fallon. Uh, she's a uh, trans female and she has an interesting story and she's really nice. And I said, done. And so here we are. We were chatting a bit before we started recording. And there's a couple of things that, that you were saying that you're anxious about. You're anxious about your voice. Yeah, my uh, talk, voice. Talk about that. My, 
<laughs> My voice really bothers me. I right I, now or in general? Um, in general, mm-hmm. um, I have to be more conscious about like keeping my voice higher. But then sometimes I feel like I'm like talking like a Minnie Mouse. Right. Um, I transitioned later in life, so my my vocal cords got thicker mm-hmm. from testosterone as I was growing up, and I think also in my in my twenties. I was male, so I just like tried to be more masculine and have a deeper voice. So uh, um, a lot of it is just habit. Mm-hmm. And I think also, in all honesty, it's probably my hanging on to something and not wanting to fully, you know, I don't know. I, um, I've. Do, do you feel, before we hold that thought, do you feel that if your voice isn't high enough, people will not accept you? That what, is, is a, what is the fear? That's a really good question. It's not really a fear. It's sort of, it's like, it's something that just annoys me. I, that's a really good question. And that brings up the topic of being passable I see. and not like, like being um, undetected as far as being trans. And I feel like I look like I'm completely female. Most people don't even know from looking at me. I'm I'm just a tall girl. I'm like right. 5'10 um and a half, but um as soon as I start talking, then like they take a double take. Cuz there's a certain What does that feel like <clears throat> in that moment? Do do any feelings come up? When I mean, you see somebody do a double take? It depends on the situation. I and of course my state of being in the moment and what I'm doing. For the most part, um I don't care anymore. It's like, whatever. Yeah, I'm trans. Like, and I don't try to hide that. But it is nice to be like undetected, mm-hmm. you know, because that was the goal. That's, that's, that was, that was the goal when I started. Now, what's recently come to um, my awareness is what's wrong with being trans? And I was just going to say, I mean, the ultimate would be that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, but easy for me to say, sitting across the table. I mean, there is a certain, like if I go through a store and I buy something and I talk like, hi, how was your day? Like a Trader Joe's or something. Mm -hmm. And they don't know because I can always tell when they, there's, there's a certain look in someone's eye when you know that they realized Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter. But, um, like when that isn't there, like it feels great. It's like, oh yeah, great. But then like what sort of that's like sort of shame based, like I'm hiding something and, and, and really, isn't it not that they should feel shame, but if there's going to be any shame, shouldn't it be for the person who's doing the judging rather than the person who's being judged? Because it's, you didn't do anything wrong. You're just claiming who you are authentically. I don't judge them for judging. And it's honestly because they, it, it's just something that they notice. Like, I notice things about people all the time. Like, oh, like, they're like, that person is like this mm-hmm. by something they say. And I'll, like, I'll notice that. Or so, somebody has a huge nose and you find yourself just looking at their nose at or it, they have or one like, gigantic yeah, eyebrow. I'm yeah, sure they something. must. So I don't judge them for that. But it has always been a goal to be completely passable, to go stealth. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I get compliments on my voice all the time, even though it's too deep for me. 
Um, so you don't necessarily care what other people think of your voice. You just want your voice to be pleasing to you? Yes, but I do care what other people think. I'm going to have to be yes. honest. I do. I mean, I mean, of course I do. That makes two of us. <laughs> let's I, let's I, real. I, I wish I didn't care how much, you know, what, what people think of me. And I don't know. Are you like me where on a good day I don't give a shit what anybody thinks of me, but on other days uh, I, I, yeah. do, I do care? I do care. I have to say my, my bottom surgery mm-hmm. has changed a lot of that for me. Talk about um, that. It's just whatever me... you're comfortable talking about. Well, we were before we got on mic. Fallon was saying that she's very comfortable talking about her bottom surgery and, and share the things that that you were uh, sharing with me because I didn't I didn't bring it up. You you brought it up, and I just kind of want that yeah. noted because some uh, trans people take offense if that is brought up by somebody that you know yeah. is. A stranger or uh well um i'm sorry to interrupt you um i was done i um it's changed for me since the surgery and before and again like 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 this is my personal opinion and my experience i'm not speaking for all trans people but before i had my surgery i was very uncomfortable i and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with pre-op trans people but i didn't really feel like i was fully a woman and I didn't feel um, I had a lot of like attention for men, but I was more of like an in, like an adventure, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 a fantasy. And you, you felt fetishized. I mean, I was. Yeah. Like, there's no question about that. Right. And I'm 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 healing from that right now. Um, with with my relationship, it's hard for me to trust men. Like like I don't. You know, that's a whole other thing. Um, before the surgery, I was really offended if someone asked me. And that was a common thing. People would, once they found out that I was trans, they would ask me, like, have you had the surgery? And I'd be like, how dare you ask me about my genitals? After my surgery and having gone through the recovery, which was, I'm not the same person, but I, but I would do it um, again. I, I almost want people to know. I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm trans, but I don't have a penis. Like... Like, like I've, like, like if that makes sense. Yeah, it it, it does make sense. Um, but I, I was just thinking as as you were saying, uh, you know, I took offense when people would ask me if I've had bottom surgery. I mean, isn't that normal? That, that's such a that's such a private thing. It, it you know, would it be okay if somebody asked me, uh, you know, uh, what do your balls look like? Well, uh, what you know? How how big are your labia? Oh, well, you know, I'm just I'm just asking. I'm just taking an interest. Well, yeah, um, of course, and that's obvious. But I I mean, people really want to know, like when they find out if you're trans, they're they're like, well, wait, like like um, how far have you gone? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's very personal. Um, having been able to do it, which I'm very grateful for, I sort of want people to know because. I mean, I feel female. I'm like 100% female now. I'm, I'm, um, well, I always have been mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, it's been really, it's, it's been two years. December 11th will be two years, uh, 2017. And I should probably have a therapist. I haven't been able to find one. And like, I can't afford one right now, but I'm trying to get one through my health insurance. Um, 
It has been a lot. I can put you in touch with a uh, woman we had on the podcast years ago, and she, yes, she, her name is uh, Jessica Dubron, and if she's not still actively counseling people in the trans community, I'm sure she knows some resources. Oh my God, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, but, um, where was I? Um, thank you. Oh, uh, bottom surgery, uh, feeling more comfortable with that being a topic after you, you had the surgery December 11th of 2017. Yeah. Like I almost want people to know, yeah, I'm trans, but I have, and then also I like, I don't, I care less what people think now. Like, I don't care if you know I'm trans because I have a vagina. (laughs) I and, see. And I love my vagina. I'm so happy. It's like, it sounds funny, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound stupid because it, it, if you felt one way inside your whole life, but you, your outside wasn't reflective of that, it yeah. felt like there was a, a, you know, a contrast between that. Yeah, there was. I mean, who wouldn't? feel exhilaration at finally feeling in sync with yourself. Well, also, um, yes. And, you know, I wasn't really expecting this, but after taking hormones for four or five years, hormones are very powerful and it changed so much with my body. Like my muscle tone went away. Mm -hmm. I lost body hair. I grew breasts naturally. I I had how long ago, how long did you start taking? I think it was like 2011. Okay, so we're so like, like, like eight or nine eight years, years. Yeah. and um, you know, like like my hips got wider, like m- my body fat like moved around. Was and, there pain involved? Um, when my breasts grew, yeah, I mean not pain; it was more itchy. I was um, just imagining somebody's hips widening, and it just that all of a sudden. No, that, it seemed to happen simple. naturally. Yeah. I'm not sure if my bones moved or, or if it was from like body fat moving around, okay, but they're. Sure. Like, they're like three inches wider. But like I would look in the mirror and my body finally felt right, but I had a penis. And it was so weird and it didn't really work anymore. And it it just made me, it was just wrong for me. But I don't, that's my personal opinion of myself. Right. I don't mean to like, there's nothing wrong yes, with that. Yes, I think we know that you're not judging I want to other, be really clear about that. Trans people and and what it is that they're comfortable with or not comfortable with. I I I think that's and like I would be dating, you know, like there was this guy that I used to date, and I don't. It just like um he was a straight guy, and and I it just felt really weird. Like 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 when we'd be together, and and I would touch myself down there, and it like I'd have to. It just it wasn't. Right. And I didn't even want to have sex the last year. It was so confusing. What what wasn't right about it? His reaction? How you felt? How I felt. Okay. It was all me. Can you elaborate well, on how you felt? Well, you know, when you're with someone and you touch yourself, like mm-hmm. I... I like I had to stroke. That's just it was wrong because <laughs> I was the woman in the scenario, and that's me. Like even saying that, I'm realizing that's my that's going through my filter and right. my my conditioning. Right. But I finally felt like who I was with a man, right. and it was wrong for you. It's it was not wrong, wrong for me in, in in general because for some people that's erotic. Are you comfortable talking about that? I'm just going to assume that you're until you say you're not comfortable talking about something. Um, yeah. That that. 
I just don't want to cry, but um, it's okay if you cry. Um, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, it was fun at first. I'm not gonna lie. I had so much fun. Like in the beginning, I was like, "Wow, I I'm, I can get all these guys." So this was after you started taking hormones. Yeah, and my breasts were like really tiny, and they grew, and and I was you know sort of like in between, and mm -hmm. I would dress up at night, and and I I would meet like, I mean, trans girls get really hot guys. Like most people don't even realize, and and I, like they're straight. They're straight men. They just they're just you know, it, it's, a, it's very erotic. It's a turn on. And it was fun for me. And, and then the estrogen set in and I had less testosterone and I, you know, I started to get feelings and like, what's going on here? I don't even know these guys or, or I would get attached to them. And I was always just sort of plan B like the, mm. the, um, or I would like, like one guy I saw for like a couple of years off and on and like, like, we never went anywhere. Like, I never met his friends. You know, sometimes we would order dinner, but, you know, and, and like... There was a feeling that you were a secret. 100%, yeah. And something yeah. to be ashamed of. And a lot of that is society. I mean, one thing I really do want to say is um, men who are attracted to and love trans women are not gay. And this is so obvious, but people don't... Like, like, like people confuse trans women with mm -hmm. gay men, but... Mm -hmm. Gay men like other men. They don't like trans women. And like, mm. you know, tra trans women are women. Like, mm. like we, we wear makeup and, you know, like generally we're pretty. <laughs> like that's why, like, like we did what we did because it mm. felt more like us. And, 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 um, there have been scientific studies done recently. There's a lot of work on gender. Um, and like, I don't want to misquote, but, but they have proven that, that, um, in the fetus, the mind develops in um, at different times in the sex organs, and and there are many cases where um, like babies are born with female brains and male sex organs, and I mean I haven't been tested for for that, but mm -hmm. I mean I I've always felt like I was female. I, I felt like a I felt like I was a girl when I grew up. What what, what was childhood? Like, where were you, where were you raised? What was, uh... I was raised in Albuquerque. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I grew up in the eighties and, um, I, I don't, it, it was kind of, I mean, I love my dad. He did a really great job, but it was, it was really hard. Like he was not ready for me and transgender was not even a word yet. Mm -hmm. It was not a discussion. Did you think you were a gay man? What I um, didn't know. It didn't, didn't matter know. what I identified as or what I thought of. Yeah. I was told what I was. Yeah. And I had to be that. And what did it, that feel like? Awful. It was like really horrible. Do you remember any conscious thoughts going through your head when you would things you would say to yourself or think about yourself when you would feel marginalized. Why wasn't I born a girl? I'm supposed to be a girl. And then also like, how am I going to hide this? And like, like, um, <laughs> you know, it was really hard. That sounds like an understatement. Um, when I found out what gay was, I guess I was around 13 or 14. I was like, oh, well, that must be what I am. I didn't, it, it never even occurred to me that I could possibly be a girl one day. 
that just wasn't I felt, was like felt like a boat you missed out on. Yeah. And like why did God do this to me? <laughs> like what am I going to do? And um I don't know. So then I thought I was gay and I tried to fit into that culture and um that never worked either. I I never and there was always this thing with straight men, I know I keep saying that word, like straight men, whatever, just men. And they weren't gay. Like, I didn't really date other gay men, even though I identified as gay. I, there were always, like, and again, I was a secret, and, and they would, you know, like, they would see me on the side. And I can't tell you how many times I heard, I'm not gay, but you're just really sexy. You're really pretty. Like, you turn me on. And then, you know, did you, did you ever hear it without the qualification of? Yeah, my first boyfriend. Um, I was with for seven years. I met him when I was eighteen when I first moved to LA, and and he, he identified as straight. But he's the one that told me that he didn't like me dressing up like a girl, stop wearing makeup, and we were so in love that I just was like, fine. So then I just try to be gay and I worked on my career and he helped me go through beauty school and um, you know we had like five good years <laughs> mm-hmm. I loved Craig he was great um, but you know like he was 11 years older than me there were a lot of drugs there were tons of drugs like I did so many drugs then um, I'm sober by the way I got sober when I was 28 so I've been Congratulations. sober thanks I don't want to say how long I've been sober but it's been a while <laughs> um, but um, then I really focused on my career. I mean, congratulations is great, but honestly, I'm lucky. I, I, I feel like I was saved from God or higher power or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I'm comfortable calling that God. But um, we're, sorry, I'm jumping around. No, no, no. Um, was there a moment when you realized or felt that God hadn't forgotten you? When I got sober, um, what did that feel like? I just felt really lucky. Like I was really scared. I was a meth addict. I did meth for like three and a half years, and I'm I'm actually glad now that I did because that got me sober quickly. Like when I was young. Um, had I not done meth, I'd, I'd probably still be drinking periodically, maybe, because um, alcoholism runs in my family. So that was great. So I got to work on my career and focus on that, and that's what I did in my early 30s and late 20s. And then this thing came around. This and you're a, a hairdresser? Yeah. Or gro- what, what sort of I'm you a hairdresser. Use? Okay. All right. But I do men's makeup. And then this thing came around. The trend thing came back. Mm-hmm. Like this guy that I was seeing, Jimmy would always ask me to dress up. And I was like, no, like I'm not a tranny, which is a horrible word. Like, like don't say right. that word. But, but that's what I said at the time. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be that. And I was offended that he asked me. He, he wanted he, you to dress as a woman? Yeah, because he was like, you're so pretty. Please just put a wig on just one mm-hmm. time. So I was like, fine, like I'll do it. So I did. And it was kind of amazing. It was like really great. Like he treated me differently. Mm-hmm. He he looked at me differently and I felt different. And that was the thing. And I didn't even know it at the time, but I felt like I was me. But it was this dirty, dirty secret. 
and I didn't want anyone to know. I was like, so then I met other people and then I started cross-dressing on the side. And then I, 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 um, made some trans friends online in this chat room that doesn't exist anymore. And then I, I just started playing like self biohacking, if you will, and just taking like testosterone blockers just to soften myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, um, and then I got rid of my facial hair. Like I started doing laser hair removal. Um, and then I got a nose job. And I never thought that I could do it. I never, I always, I had this fear of looking like a man um, in a dress. And mm-hmm. I mean, it just gets to a point where you don't care anymore. Like, mm-hmm. like this is me. And I mean, I think I look pretty good now. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, and then one thing led to another. And here I am. I'm like fully female. It's kind of great. What would, you know, let's go back to that time when you felt like you were an object to these, to these men. What ideally would you have liked to hear from them Um, regarding who you are beyond the physicality? What would you have have liked them to notice uh, about you? Wow, you're really sweet. Like, you have a great personality, and you're really funny. Like, I want to hang out with you. Or, wow, to be who you are takes so much courage. That's awesome. Like, like I want to hang out with you. And I, I, never, I never got, or, or, or even, wow, like, I think you're so beautiful. Like, I want to see you more. There was never that, ever. What they used to say was really kind of painful. Are you comfortable sharing? I mean, like, guys would literally, like, just text or say, like, wow, you, um, I've always wanted to try it with a tranny <laughs> or, like, a tea girl. Um, and you're really hot. Like, like it just, it was really painful. Like, like that was the whole reason for my existence. Right. That's why I've gone through all this, is just to please your fantasy. Right. And... In the beginning, it didn't bother me. I was like, oh, this is fun. But then I was like, what's going on here? And it didn't, it's pretty painful. Do you remember the first time that you felt seen inside and outside by, by somebody? Um, like a romantic interest? Yeah, or even a non-romantic interest. Because I'm just, from what you've shared here, it sounds like the bulk of the emotional pain you've suffered in your life has been attached to your physicality, whether it's how you felt about how you looked or people treating you as an object. Um, so I'm just... Well, I'm also a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in today's society, so... No, I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. But... No, you didn't interrupt me. Uh and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just I'm I'm interested in knowing about your your inner life and the drama inside there beyond beyond this beyond um, this this issue because it, it it I would imagine so much of your life the turmoil has been around <clears throat> your physicality you know whether you're yeah. 
passing or everything is about that. Like when you transition, everything is about that. What do I look like? How do I appear to other people? So what's, what's underneath all of that? If we were, if we were to say, we can't talk about any of that stuff on here. Well, I think we have to, don't we? we, No, we do. But I want to talk about the stuff that people don't get asked when they're trans. I, I want to, I want to, uh, understand your personality. I want to understand, um, the stuff that goes beyond the trans issues in addition to the trans issues, because I feel like if you have a a, a trans person as a guest and all you talk about are trans issues, it's almost a way of simplifying to that person to their issue. Not that you can separate that person from the issues and the pain and the stuff that they felt, but um, I... I like to try to ask questions that somebody doesn't get asked um, and hear the things that they're not used to talking about. And I, that's where I'm trying to get with you because I am interested definitely in the in the trans stuff, but I don't want it to just be limited to that, uh, you know. Because I'm I, more than that. Yeah, but it is a huge part of who I am. Um, like what your insecurities are. I mean, you've, you've, you've mentioned that... Um, you you feel that you're kind, you feel that you're funny, you want to be somebody that, that people like to hang out with. Tell me more about yourself beyond the physical. Um I well there's a couple of questions. Like first, um I want to answer the question from before, like sure. like not the phys but um welcome to my ADHD. No, it's fine. Okay. Um, I have a touch of that too, but the um uh, it would be really great to be asked like how does it feel now to finally be who you have always felt you were? Mm-hmm. What is that like? And what is it like? Um and actually now that I asked that question I don't really have an answer. It's um can you describe the sensations that you feel? In your body, is, do you get a warm feeling in your chest? Does your body relax? Does your heartbeat slow down? Is it easier to smile? Um, yeah. Is it easier to make eye contact with, with people? Do yeah, you, for sure. Do you feel closer to your higher power? Um, yes and no. I mean, I'm really grateful to my higher power. Maybe I don't because I'm not as desperate anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, like... Like, nothing makes you feel closer to your higher power than pain and desperation. I mean, for me, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, I'm like, God, please help me. Um, I'm figuring that out. It's really, it's really, it's really wild. Um, my my dad name is Tony, and that's like another person. That's like, mm-hmm. that's still my middle name, but I'm only so people can find me. They used to work with me years ago, but it, it's you and I. Um Tony was just like this other person. Like, I don't, I feel like I lost the question. What what, what are the parts of you that people don't ask you about? You know, you'd mentioned before that it it would have been nice for somebody to say, wow, you're you're really kind. You're really funny. Um, 
I'm, I'm trying to, um, learn the things about you that you don't get asked. Well, I'm also defining it. I mean, I spent over 30 years, like, like creating this persona. Talk about that persona, if you will. Of Tony, like he was this hairdresser and, you know, he exercised a lot and he was gay and, and I tried to fit into that and, and, you know, he had testosterone, so he liked, you know, he was angry sometimes and, Mm -hmm. and I mean, it's very interesting, the difference between estrogen and testosterone, they're I mean, I think differently. I I enjoy sex differently. It means I um, I communicate differently. So, I mean, I had to be more specific if you're comfortable. I what as far as sex or yeah. I mean, it's I mean I mean I like foreplay. I like I like cuddling. I'm um I like kissing. I'm very. You know, I'm like, and, and before it was just more uh, like, let's get off. Let's just like, this is so hot. And the right. whole fantasy thing, it's like, a, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I miss testosterone. Like I miss the energy and the drive. But it's funny, as I get older, I find myself enjoying the things that you described more. Yeah. And well, I can still enjoy, you know, a passionate really physical kind of animalistic sure um <clears throat> romp this, this kind of sex that i find myself really enjoying is the stuff that's that's more feminine i i suppose classically feminine um and maybe that maybe that's a result of getting older and having a lower testosterone because i do have a lower uh lower testosterone but I really uh, like sex with eye contact. It's the best. It really it's is. It's the best. It used to freak me out. It's like the best. It, yeah. It's like it's all about connection. Yeah. Um, and Tony didn't like that. No, I don't think he did. It's, it's he, hard to remember. Yeah. It's like another, that's like another person. Sorry, what? Do you think you would have been friends with Tony if you had been a different if you had been the incarnation of who you are now and you were working in the same salon as Tony. Sure. Yeah. Tony was cool. Yeah. Yeah. He was nice. What, <laughs> if you had a heart to heart talk with Tony back then, what do you think you would have talked about? Just relax. Like, yeah. Calm down. <laughs> and what do you think he would have said? Um, I can't. Like I have too much to do and I have to go. Which I say now, you know, it's funny, like, um, like when I get upset now as, as you know, who I am, Fallon, like, um, I fall back on like what Tony would do and, and and, like I react, but it's getting better. For example, would you lose your temper? Yeah. Yeah. Or like when I yell at my boyfriend, Rick or something. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I, I'm like, wait, that's not like, that's not how I wanted to deal with that. What do you think are the most common fears that come up that drive your anger? Not being seen, not being listened to, and not being respected. Like, I have to think about that. I, I feel the exact same way. Yeah. And it, it's it, not, 
Sorry. To, to, and I'm not uh, trying to compare um, my issues of not being seen with somebody who has gone through the world as a, as a uh, trans person. No. But I know the feeling of not being seen, the feeling of being in, in, invisible or being abandoned or the, the – <laughs> <laughs> that's Gracie's uh, way of saying shut up and me. stop talking about yourself um, no no it, it, it is when it comes up in me my central nervous system feels like it's going to melt down it's, yeah. it's my head gets hot I feel like I want to cry I'm my hands shake I'm angry yeah it's it is uh it's a terrible feeling to feel not seen and not respected. Yeah. And I think it happens to so many people. I can't imagine what it must be like to have it every day. I know. And um, um, I really make a conscious effort to make sure that people are seen. Like even when I see homeless people, I say hi. That's... That's a whole other topic, but because there are people, and that that could be any one of us. Um, yeah, that's 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 really what it's all about, like like not being seen. And uh, um, I'm glad that you said that because it's not necessarily just a trans issue. It's 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 it's, it's a, it, like it's an issue for all of us. Um, this is like maybe change. Like I can't believe I did this. Like I don't even. Uh, wow. Like 10 years ago, if you would have told me that I was going to do this, I'd be like, no way. Do you feel pride? No, I feel gratitude. I mean, I, I can't believe that I was able to. Gratitude to whom? Um, that I was able to, that I look okay. Because, you know, it's interesting because when you transition, like you really don't know what the end product is going to be. And you just sort of have to just... I see. You're grateful for the outcome. I'm grateful for the outcome, but I'm also grateful that I live in a time in a country in a time or whatever that I that I could do it, mm -hmm. that I had the means to do it, that I had, that my health insurance helped me, and all these other that I was able to. It's kind of amazing that that people came into my life at certain times that that made that happen. I mean, it's not easy getting the surgery or 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 getting your name changed. Or I can't imagine. <laughs> I mean, you to go to psychiatrist and. I just railed ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I I, um, I know most people have some battle that they're they're fighting. Um but when I see the things that people in the trans community and really anybody kind of outside the quote unquote mainstream heteronormative yeah. experience, uh, I I can't imagine what what it must be like um, to be aware of your difference every single day. Yeah. Um, Are there yeah. days when you when you aren't aware of it? You know, it's funny. That's sort of what I've been dealing with. Like, I, um, I mean, the whole goal of doing this was to be completely passable, and then I just like I moved to San Diego because I wanted just to have a normal life. And I got tired of the entertainment industry, which I still work in. And mm -hmm. it's, it's like I come down to L.A. two or three times a week. 
that's how I heard your podcast because mm-hmm. there's a lot of podcasts on this. God bless um, traffic. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, I um, like even when I first started my relationship, when we first started seeing each other with my current boyfriend, because he like like he's um, he was a marine. Like he works in construction. He never dated a trans girl before. My neighbor introduced us. And I, I mean, he's like really surprised, but like, like we're in love. It's really sweet. But, but, um, like we had a dialogue about it and he was like, you know, I don't want to see pictures of you from before. Like I just see you as a woman cause you are a woman and that's okay. I, I mean, we, we talk more about my being trans now, but like, I don't, there's nothing society sort of looks at trans women that way. Like. Like, oh, like, like you're trans, like I caught you, like, like we should be ashamed of it. And I'm sort of realizing that I've been guilty of that. And, um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of proud, not in an ego sort of way, but like, yeah, like I did this and it wasn't easy and I'm really happy now. So like, I'm sort of accepting now that I'll always be a trans woman and that's okay. I'm still a woman. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of a quote, uh, Chris Rock, he was saying, you know, people keep saying, oh, you know, black people have made so many strides and, you know, this and that, you know, a black man's president. And he said, black people haven't made strides. There were black people smart enough to be president in the 1700s. White people have made strides. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, we're just people. Like, we're just people. And, um, I mean, I like to think that one day, like, it's not even going to be thought of as a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I do want to talk about, um, this has been bothering me lately, and it's sort of changing the subject. Um, like, I've been reading memes on Facebook and stuff about people, like, saying that children should not transition. And like, I mean, from my, like judging from my childhood and like, I mean, I would have had a different, that would have been fantastic. And um, there's this common misconception that they give hormones to children, which they don't. All they do is they block their puberty, which if you are transgender or, or are possibly considering being trans, there's nothing more horrifying than having to go through puberty. Like if you're a female to male trans person, growing breasts would be so awful or, or like the vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like, and all they do is they just pause it so they can decide later. I see. And people don't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what they do. Um, there are some cases where they actually give them hormones, but that's between the parent. And, right. Um, so it's not like parents are just like, here, take hormones. Right. And, and th- that, like, that doesn't happen. And also there's been studies, and um, I can't document them, but I've heard them on podcasts. And I seriously knew when I was four that I was a girl. And my, like, if someone had intervened and just pause it, my voice wouldn't have deepened. I wouldn't have had this 
Adam's up. I would have saved so much money in surgery, and my life would have been completely different. Like, children don't just think randomly, like, oh, I'm in the wrong body. And also, like... I want to make school even more difficult. <laughs> why would anybody do that? Right. And, like, and parents don't want that either. Yeah. Like, they live with the children, and they know. Like, um, there's a big difference between a child who says, I want to be a girl... And like a male child who says, I am a girl. Right. And I just want to clear that up because I've been trying to explain that to people and people just don't get it. They look at it like, well, like you don't let a child drink. They're just children. But it's not the same thing. Right. And another thing that really bothers me is... Yeah, a, gen a gender can't be consumed. <laughs> no. But gender and sex are two completely different right. things. Like, like gender is up here in your mind and sex is down here. Sex is who you go to bed with and gender is who you go to bed as. And they're two completely different things. That's like, people cannot wrap their heads around that. I did not understand the difference when I started doing this podcast nine years ago. And on the survey, yeah. uh, I had the question, sex, question mark, male or female. And yeah. somebody said, that's that's up to them yeah and that's not the same thing as gender and i was like oh oh no and it's not that began me learning a lot more about uh issues that i well had, thank you had, for learning had nothing. that you know what thank the listeners because they have been so kind and diplomatic in educating me and there's still times when I put my foot in my mouth and they're really, really uh, nice in, yeah. in how they help turn light bulbs on in, in my head. Um, and, I kind of got excited there, didn't I? <laughs> about what? <laughs> no, like I was like like, yeah. like a little mad, but anyway. And mad at what? No, just that, I, I mean, that's been an issue. Like I've been seeing online, people are really upset about like you know like oh the thing you were talking about with kids yeah and, and yeah rightly so it, it's like watching a, a a tragedy slowly unfold yeah and people saying that's not a tragedy no that's <clears throat> um all they do is just make them just pause it right. and i mean what parent is going to make their child do that like purposely right. like no, like you're a girl and like, no mom, like I'm a boy. That's not, that doesn't happen. I mean, right. come on. And like children are not that, I mean, like, like give them some credit. They know who they are. Anyway. What are some other things that you would like to talk about, whether it's around being trans uh, or transitioning or your surgeries or just struggles outside of those topics I mean I don't know I um I feel guilty even bringing this up it's kind of silly but you know I have um passing privilege like it's it's easy for me cuz I cuz I'm pretty or like I'm kind of cute and I mm -hmm. like like I'm acceptable to to society as a whole like i mm -hmm. like i fit this mold of what pretty is and like sure she's trans but like um 
like we don't mind looking at her. I really, I really feel for the people that, like my heart goes out to them that like don't have it as easy, that maybe don't have the money for surgeries, mm-hmm. and don't um, don't completely pass, but like they have the courage to still go through with it. That blows me away because I remember what that was like when I first. Like when I first took my boobs out, like they weren't covered and like I went into a grocery store and they showed and it was like, it was terrifying. And like people... What, what do you mean you, you took your boobs out? Well, not out. But what I mean is like, like I didn't smash them down and, oh, and hide them and wear a big, like, sorry that right. that was miss, um, whatever. But yeah. um, why, why were you hiding them? Because I wasn't ready. Like I didn't want people to look at oh. me and be like, oh, she's trying, like I was trying to stay sort of in the middle and I not and, and not come out yet. And um, I was in that stage for a couple of years. So you wanted to wait until you felt you were uh, passable yeah. before you went, did the unveiling? Yeah. Did you come down a big circular staircase? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> no. Um, it happened at the gym, actually, which I said on Josh's podcast, but... Mm-hmm. There was, that's another, I mean, it's, it's like a past issue now. It's a story, but the whole bathroom thing, um, I was at a point where I was, my breasts had grown, but I wasn't going out and dressing up as female. I was sort of in between, Mm -hmm. like I would wear androgynous clothes and, and just like put my hair back in a bun and go to work and hope that nobody noticed that my nose was smaller, that I had Mm -hmm. cheekbones now or whatever. And, um, but everybody knew, like, who was I kidding? Mm-hmm. And, like, Josh knew, too. Like, mm-hmm. like anyway, um, uh, I, I had problems in the men's restroom. Like, I didn't use the restroom at the gym for, like, I don't know. Like, I never undressed there for maybe two or three years. But there was a part of the gym that I used to go to that you had to go through the restroom to get to. So I would literally run through and just hope that nobody stopped me or... But, through the men's room? Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, I wasn't ready to go into the women's, but like, um, um, I had to go through there, and I was like, well, I still have a penis, so I'll go through there. But like, guys used to look at me like, what are you doing in here? And sometimes I, I had to go to the restroom, but because um, sometimes like you have to pee, and, mm-hmm. and like I would always go in a stall, and um, guys would come on to me, and it was just like at that point I was on estrogen, and it was just really gross. I'd be like, "No, we're in a bathroom," and I, it just felt weird. But one time, I the think last... that's where you find the best husbands are the ones hitting yeah, on right? you in, in bathrooms. Yeah, but okay. well, it's because I looked feminine, but mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, whatever, I don't even care. But um, the last time it happened, I was at a urinal because a stall was taken, so I just went quickly because I had to pee really bad, and this guy came up next to the stall next to me and he started he winked at me and you know and I was like I realized I was like I can't come in here anymore like I like what'd that feel like it was kind of awful I didn't know where I was gonna go so then I started to run to the women's restroom but there was a hallway where I didn't have to go in the locker room so I was hoping that nobody would notice it was really scary and the reason I'm telling this story is because I want people to understand the bathroom issue I think most people who haven't had to experience that wonder what that is like. I didn't know where to go. Did I, anybody say anything when you started using the women's? At first, no. And then um, and then people started to complain. 
and the the girls at the front desk was like, "Hey, can I talk to you for a minute?" She was cool, like like we were friends, but she was like, "Hey, it's not me, but some of the um, like some of the customers um, are complaining um, about you walking through that hallway, and um, your ID says Mel. Like, would you mind going to the men's restroom?" And I don't know what something came over me, and like I made my big baggy thick t-shirt tight so my breast showed and I was like no I just said um I can't go in there I no I said I'm on hormones I'm transitioning and I'm not a man anymore good for you but it was well thanks but were you shaking when you said it kind of yeah and like it was I mean, really that sounds busy. terrifying yeah and like everybody at the gym stared at me and she, her mouth dropped and she's like well like what do I tell the 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 customers I just tell them to get over it it's 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 2014 or 15 whatever it was and um that's like out of a movie you realize how badass that is i mean i get yeah thank you i mean i mean i look back and people have said that how much courage i have but i i um i didn't look at it like i'm going to be courageous right now and do something strong i i had to i just Something about that moment, I was like, I, I I was just tired of hiding it. I was tired. So, but then that meant that I created the space that I had to step into. And that's when I started to go to the gym with my breast showing. So I used the gym as that. Mm -hmm. And did you encounter any problems after that? No. I, I'm like, people stared. And at that point, I think most of my facial hair was gone. And I had a nose job by then. And do you, what? Do you feel any anxiety to this day when you go to use the restroom no because i belong in the women's restroom there's no doubt yeah but you don't care if if somebody nobody you know. questions me at all now okay. I, I mean i wonder what it would be like for the person who you know isn't quote unquote passable what what that anxiety must be like well i have a couple okay i'm sort of what's known as a trans medicalist I try not to be because I try to honor and accept everybody's journey and whether they've them. had surgery or not. It's not even I. I draw the line at hormones, and this is just my opinion, right? Like, because it's true. Like, and I understand society as a whole. Like, they're like, well, men can't go in the restroom just because you say you're a woman. I sort of think you should be on hormones at least mm -hmm. a year. Preferably two years, because hormones really do change you. They change the way you think and the way you. I mean, I I don't think it's right for someone just to be like, okay, I'm trans and I'm going to go in the like women's restroom now. Mm -hmm. I I sort of don't. I have issues, and also with sports. I I think because really huge changes happened from estrogen for me after two years, mm -hmm. and I've heard that from other. Like that's when it really settled in. And my body fat moved around. My muscle tone went down. I cried at the drop of a hat. So I still do. <laughs> but, you know, like like you just become more emotional. And and now do you ask for directions? I do. Actually, well, I have maps. But I'm, I'm, my driving has changed. It's true. And, like, yeah. and it's like also like the, with my boy, I'm like, what did that mean? You know, or, or I make up stories. It's... I mean, I don't mean to pigeonhole women, but I can really relate now. Is there anything else you'd, you'd like to talk about? I mean, you you have brought up so many great topics within the topic of 
Yeah. Being trans. Um, almost every person that, that I interview, um, I think I've interviewed maybe four or five trans people. Uh-huh. And every time there are things that I learn uh, about it that I hadn't even considered. Um, I want to talk about relationship, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm figuring it out, but having a relationship as a, as with a vagina, it's totally different. How so? Well, I mean, I didn't think it would be, but I mean, it's challenging because I have to, It it's so easy just to like, be the fetish and just walk away and like now I have to be present and um say say the that last part again like it's 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 it, it, it's so easy to cop out and be like well you know he doesn't really want to be with me anyway and I'm just a fetish oh, and then and and it's for so easy you to, to run to use it as an excuse yeah. to avoid intimacy yeah and um there's this guy that I met and he's he's like I mean, we fight a lot, but he's like the real thing. And sometimes I have to watch myself, you know, because I like um, I have triggers and I have things that I and um, he does, too. But, you know, it's it's really um, I got what I wanted. Like I'm in this monogamous um, relationship and it's just the Marine. Yeah. And has he introduced you to his friends? All his friends. Yeah, I've met all What'd friends. that feel like? Awesome. It's like really great. And they all really like me. Um, a girlfriend of one of his best friends said something to him about me the other day. And I mean, I've only met her a couple of times and she's, for some reason, we really hit it off. And I mean, it, it's hard. Like, like whenever I go to someone's house like that, I just feel like the elephant in the room or, or I feel like this big, like, you know, hi, I'm the trans person here and mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But like these people really just see me as who I am, like a woman and her son, who's like eight or nine, like, like, um, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was after I left and her, like they were talking about me and, and, um, her son said something like, well, that's a guy. Um, uh, which I find shocking. I think I'm so passable, but I guess I'm not to every... Um, kids always know. But she said, no, that's, she is a woman. And she said... And she explained to her, or or I'm sorry, him, the child, like, um, that I was born something different and, like, everything that I had to go through to be who I am. And she said, she's more woman than I am. Like, wow. And, like... Rick told me that like while we were driving and it's, I mean, just that someone would see me as that, like, that's really powerful. I think it's just great that she felt bad about herself. I think that, I think that that's the important thing to take from this is that she feels that she's not woman enough. And I think we should end on that. She is. She's like really pretty. She's super feminine. But, um, you know, and then I read something, wait, I want to find it. This is a quote from Simone de Beauvoir, it says, one is not born, but rather becomes um, a woman. No biological, um, psychological, or 
um, economic fate determines the figure that the human female represents um, in society. It is, it is civilization as a whole that produces this creature. Um, intermediate between male and eunuch, which is described as feminine. Like that, that, I mean, obviously, because I'm a trans woman and I became a woman, but it's really true. And it also, it, it makes me think like, what is a woman? Like, like what defines what a woman is? Is it someone who wears makeup and, and curls their hair and wears a dress? Or is it like, what is a woman? What does that really mean? Is it someone... I mean, to me, it means, wow, that's, that's a loaded question I just set myself up for. It, um, it's a certain comfort and awareness and empathy and sensitivity and being sensual. It, it's like a sensuality. It's, um, for me, it's artistic. Mm -hmm. it's, it's how I express who I am. And like... And, like, I get to define that now. And that's really exciting, but also very scary. And I, th I think for each person with their idea of to be male or to be female is it, it should be a very personal thing because some of the things that you described as definitive of being a woman... I would say, for me, are definitive in being the man that I want to be, to be yeah. sensitive, you know, to uh, be compassionate. Wouldn't have been true when I was in my twenties. So who no. knows? You know, maybe it's maybe it's age, maybe it's experience for me, in in terms of how we define that. But I think the fact that there is no definition that we all need to agree on is what's beautiful. And ultimately, yeah. I think if people are going to walk around and feel safe in this world, there shouldn't be a definition. It should just be a continuum. And it's a spectrum. A spectrum. And we should be thinking about what that person's character is, rather than yeah, and who what, they are. what you know what. And obviously, I'm pre I'm preaching to the choir, but um, I just wanted to add my two cents on that because as you were describing those things. I was thinking, wow, in my support group, uh, especially the men's support group that I, that I go to, it, it, we often talk about how proud we are that we laugh and cry in a in a room full of men, and and there's a lot of alpha alpha dudes in there, and yeah. and <clears throat> we've worked hard to get to the point where we can cry in front of a, a a room full of guys and be vulnerable and show compassion. And um, that was never on my radar when I thought of what it is to be a man. It was always, you know, if some, you know, it was always to be the hero, the saver, you know, use physical intimidation, brute to, force, brute force yeah. you know, to, you know, to always be right, to always be the strongest, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, I think if if maybe there's a silver lining to all this stuff that people are going through for society as a whole down the road, it, it would be that maybe people's character will be 
something that we focus on more than um, yeah. how masculine or feminine uh, they they are. Or how many followers they have. Or how many followers <laughs> they have. But um, I would like to add to that too. Um, like being vulnerable is what really takes courage. That's really courage. That's really, that's courageous. That's courage. That That's what takes strength. Um, that's, I think, sometimes why it can be a blessing to have your your soul get ground to a pulp and you have to ask for help yeah, that's and then you find out what an amazing world the world of vulnerability and learning how to trust again can be yeah like 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 new horizons and vistas open up yeah yeah um everybody like after my surgery um everybody said oh my god you're so courageous that's so amazing but i don't I just felt like I had to do it. I didn't feel like that was courageous. I felt so lucky. After after I did it, and I was, like, when I looked at, when I first, I was like, holy shit, what have I done? <laughs> like, that's when I realized that it was courageous. After your, after your bottom surgery? Yeah. That was a brutal recovery. What was it like the first time you saw it? Saw it? I cried. Did you? Yeah. But they were like tears of joy. Like, I, because um, I had a catheter for the first week, and then um, um, I went to the surgeon, and, and, um, and they took it out. And I was I was on heavy drugs. Like, I was on mm. dilaudid, and I, like, you have to be. Uh, I did hydrocodone for, I think, two and a half months, but you had, mm. like, there was right. no. You took it as prescribed. That's what drugs are for. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I didn't see it until I got home, and I um, took my my pants off and and like took a picture, and I just it, like it was, um, it wasn't there anymore, and, and like I looked the way that's how it was supposed to look. Even now, like still, like every like like every time I get out of the shower and I look in the mirror when I'm drying myself, it's it it was like one of the best days of my life. Um, recovery was brutal. It was really brutal. But I would do it again if I had to, in a heartbeat. I would do it all over again. It's the best thing I ever did. Fallon, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story and being so open and honest and vulnerable. And uh, I learned a lot of stuff. Oh, thank I you. a lot of stuff. And. Uh Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to finally meet you. Yeah. I love your show, by the way. Thank I love you. it so much. Thank you. Um, when I first, just one thing, I, sure. like when I moved to San Diego, it it was crazy. Like I was just like, you know, I'm of this age and like my, I left LA so I could not be Tony anymore because mm -hmm. Tony's memories were so everywhere. But um, I drove back and forth a lot and I was really scared. I was in this, like, well, what have I done? I had no business in San Diego. And your shows really helped me a lot. They helped me stay grounded. And also, I, like, like they're not 12-step, but, like, that sort of, you know, that was in there, too. And um, your show had a huge impact on me getting through a lot. So thank you. Wow, that means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. Um, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful soul. Really enjoyed talking to her. 
This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Uh, let's dive right into some, some surveys. This is from the love surveys filled out by a woman who calls herself Cardinal Rose. She writes, I love when autumn begins because nature exudes the final bit of beauty before it commits suicide. <laughs> oh, I fucking love you guys. Uh, this is filled out, same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Trader Depressions. She writes, running into a friend at the supermarket who's got a basket full of depression foods and asking her to come over for dinner tonight. She reluctantly agreed and we stayed up belly laughing around the dining room table till midnight. She didn't know I'd been feeling depressed too. That is awesome. It's so nice. So nice when you find out you're not alone. This is a shame and secret survey filled up by a woman who calls herself Can't Laugh, Can't Cry. She uh, identifies as straight. She's in her 50s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, she writes Total Shit Show. She's never been sexually abused, but she's been emotionally abused. She writes, I was raised by an alcoholic and received emotional abuse almost daily from the age of 4 to 15. I was often told that I was weird, strange, not normal, although no effort was made to help me. I was told that I would never have any friends, never get a job, not be able to take care of myself. In fact, I was quite intelligent and had scholarship offers from many top universities thanks to my test scores. My family told me that I could only go away to college if I went to a strict religious school. I regret to this day that I was deprived of the excellent education I could have had. I also did not have any emotional privacy because everything I said or did became fodder for the gossip or jokes of those around me. Everyone on the block knew I had written a sad poem, cried about something that happened at school, or eaten too many cookies. Any positive experiences with the abusers? 
I had some very positive experiences in addition to the negative ones, which w- which has made it difficult to resolve my feelings towards these individuals, even though they are long dead and gone. Darkest thoughts. I think I am becoming one of those crazy old ladies you see on TV shows about hoarders. I'm in a situation where I'm trying to dispose of my late parents' possessions and for a year and a half have been surrounded by boxes and bags of stuff. I can't use some of the rooms in my house. People won't come and see me and I don't like to invite anyone. There are companies that will send in experts to help with these situations, but they're expensive and I can barely pay my bills. Last time I visited my therapist, I said in all seriousness that I need an intervention. He gave me the same advice that I hear all the time about making lists, breaking up tasks, and so on. I try these things but never manage to make more than a small dent in the mountain. I rarely go to therapy because the copay is very high for me. I'm an only child and have no children of my own, so my only relatives are cousins. When I've asked them for help, they decline because their own lives are so busy. I guess they think since I'm not working, I have plenty of time to deal with these things. I don't even know what kind of help I need. I would say just keep asking for help. Not from the people you've asked already, but um, just just keep seeking. Just keep seeing. I know that's probably not that helpful, but um, in my experience, when we keep seeking help, the universe eventually meets us halfway. Uh, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. In my whole life of nearly 60 60 years, I've never once been approached by a man to try to flirt with me in a bar, coffee shop, restaurant, airport, or any other place. I met my ex-husband in high school, and everyone I've dated since my divorce 20-plus years ago, I met online just once before I die. I would like for someone to meet me and think that I am attractive. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Please help me so that I will know that someone cares. If you haven't joined the forum yet, that might be a good place for you to get um, some suggestions from people or even just some emotional support. What, if anything, do you wish for? For my house to be clean enough that I feel like I'm living a normal life. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared my worries about not being able to clean my house with my therapist and also a long-distance friend. Their reactions made me feel stupid and more ashamed. I would change therapists. Um, I'm sure there are therapists out there that uh, have more experience in this issue than your therapist does. Um, How do you feel after writing these things down? Well, at least I'm crying. Most days I can't even do that. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? It's really crap to have no one that you can count on. Thank you for for filling that out. That as difficult as that is to to read, because you're clearly in so much pain. Um, sending you some love and and good vibes, and I want to thank you for for going so deep on that. Really. Um, I don't know if there's any support groups in your area. I can't remember if you if you said that or not, but I think you would a support group would benefit from you. Not only would you benefit from a support group, but I um you know, being raised in an alcoholic home, that can really really have an effect on somebody and while the issue may seem like, you know, it, hoarding is the issue, uh a lot of times it, 
there's a bigger issue underneath that, you know, codependence or other stuff. And it, it certainly couldn't hurt to, to check out a support group around that. But you, you sound like a really deep, sensitive person and support groups can benefit not only you, but, but they can benefit from having somebody who can go deep. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Kitty. She writes, I remember sometimes in the winter, my stepdad would take me and my sister out into the farmer's fields and woods behind our house in the winter with our dog, Misty. That was also my dog's name growing up. It was quiet and beautiful, and it felt like an adventure. I remember this fondly, walking through the woods, jumping on bales of hay. It was one of the times I felt like I wasn't scared of my dad. No walking on eggshells. I appreciate those times. That's such a such an awesome picture. There's something so beautiful about the the starkness of of nature in winter and being able to find joy. I think that's one of the reasons why I love hockey so much to this day was skating on the frozen ponds near my house when it was you know zero or five below zero and uh yeah, it's, it's something so invigorating about working out in the cold. I also just wear a Speedo when I did it, so it was brisk. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself that girl in the corner. She identifies as straight. She's in her 30s. She was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I went along with whatever my first boyfriend wanted to do at 14, even though I didn't really feel attracted to him or want to do those things. We never had sex, but I still felt disgusted with myself for letting it happen. Uh, she's not sure if she's ever been physically or emotionally abused. Uh, I don't know if I was ever abused, but I recently came across an article detailing things one might do or experience as a result of emotional abuse. There were about 20 things, and I fit at least 18 of them. Darkest Thoughts I'm a parent, and a good portion of the time, I imagine how life would be different if we hadn't adopted. I'm unable to have biological children. I sometimes wish we didn't, if for nothing else, to have a life be simpler. I'm honestly not sure what love feels like, so I have no idea if I love my spouse or my kid. My kid is nearly 15 and incredibly smart. I'm sure they can tell I'm thinking this all the time. Darkest Secrets I've been addicted to hardcore porn since middle school. I'm in my mid-30s now. And I'm female and was raised Southern Baptist. My husband knows I watch sometimes but doesn't know the extent and I'm so deeply ashamed. I'm barely spiritual now but this fills me with such guilt. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. I want to be dominated, hard and rough. My husband has done this a few times, but I think he also wants to be dominated, and I can't seem to bring myself to do as much as he wants. I feel like a terrible person because he's willing to fulfill my fantasy, and I can't seem to do the same for him. You know, you talked about feeling numb and being addicted to pornography or really anything that gives us that jolt. Um in an addictive way, numbs us. And then the things that aren't jolting just feel so gray and like like our life is on the other side of a plexiglass window when we just can't feel it. And so starting 
you know, maybe with a support group for the addiction to porn, because you are not alone in being a female that is addicted to porn. I have many female friends that uh, have struggled with, with porn addiction. Um, but that might be a place to, to start processing your feelings or a therapist who specializes in sex or, or love addiction. Uh, anything you wish for? Anything you'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish I hadn't gone to college. I wish you'd have let me travel a bit before going to college. Maybe then I wouldn't have drank myself out of sophomore year. I can't tell them because it's at least half my own fault, but I was pushed into college and at a college I didn't even want to attend. What if anything do you wish for? Freedom from my severe depression and horrific anxiety. From parenthood. From marriage, even though I think I love my husband. I just want to only be responsible for me. Have you shared these things with others? Hell no. They're such hurtful things. There's no way I'll ever voice them. Well, the reality of that is if we don't take that step, things don't get better. You know, there's a saying in recovery, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I understand the pain and the sick comfort of isolation, but it keeps us sick. And taking that first step of opening up to somebody, whether it's a therapist or a support group or just a trusted friend who seems non-judgmental, that can really get the get the ball rolling. How do you feel after writing these things down? Like a piece of shit. Who the fuck am I to be such an ungrateful bitch for everything in my life? You are so hard on yourself. And I guarantee you, there is nobody that you're going to open up to that is going to be as hard on you as you are. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I would never wish these feelings on anyone. I'm sorry you can relate. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I really, I really hope you... can find a strength to get over that fear of opening up to somebody. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself, everyone will still guess it's me. And she writes, realizing with horror that the notebook I brought with me to the conference to take notes in was one of the ones I used to write a load of insane paranoid ramblings in. And then feeling too anxious about the prospect of losing it and someone reading it that I can't concentrate on any of the conference talks anyway. That is, that's like something out of a movie that all your coworkers find your, your diary. Oh my God. Thank you for that. This is an email I got from a guy uh, named Jordan, and he writes, um, just wanted to send you a quick note to thank you for giving me the strength to battle my mental illness, dysthymia, persistent mild depression, etc. I finally found your podcast a little over a year ago while battling a particularly tough bout of depression. It gave me the strength to admit to myself that I am not alone, and ultimately my family that I cannot battle, and ultimately... Oh, and ultimately my family, that I cannot battle this anymore on my own. Although life got in the way, had a second child, lost a job, death in the family, I ultimately found help this year after starting to listen to your podcast again and again, coming to a place where I accepted that I cannot do this alone, and this time reaching out for help. Um, 
And then he was filling out a survey, and uh, he writes, his life was turned upside down, filling this out. He said, a man's story in the survey was almost identical to mine. He writes, I'm a 34-year-old man. I was 19 or 20. I was dating a girl off and on for probably six months. I guess it was more of a summer fling. We then went away for college and would occasionally meet up when we were both home on break. We had a little falling out during the time we were both home for Thanksgiving that year and stopped talking and seeing each other. Then fast forward to Christmas break and I ended up driving her home one night from a party. We ended up parking somewhere and started making out, etc. I'm driving and she's in the passenger seat. She then jumps over and straddles me in the driver's seat. She starts to unbuckle my pants and wants to have sex. I tell her no. I tell her no repeatedly. She persists and I end up caving and having sex with her. So, as I said before, this story was almost identical to the story from one of your surveys in one of the episodes. I don't remember which one. After you read this man's surveys, you asked a simple question. If the roles were reversed and the female was the one who repeatedly said no, but ultimately, quote, caved, would your view on the situation change? Holy fuck. I was raped. This realization has only happened in the last couple of weeks. I still struggle to even call it that. From what I have learned, I have the same bullshit excuse as everyone else. A man cannot be raped. I put myself in that situation. I don't remember most of the night, so I must have asked for it. I ultimately enjoyed it, so it doesn't count. It's funny, if I heard this story from anyone else, I don't think there would be any hesitation to call it what it is, rape. But since it happened to me, it doesn't mean as much, because... It's just me. I can accept it. Also because of your podcast, I found out I have some form of emotional deprivation. Because of that, I struggle to identify my emotions. I still struggle to identify how I feel about what happened. Anyways, you can see I have a long way to go, but to be able to actually feel and process these thoughts and emotions is a thousand times better than numbing myself with drugs and alcohol for the past 20 years. Thank you so much for that. Oh, and then he writes, uh, go fuck yourself, Jordan. <laughs> I haven't done that in a while, The uh, telling people to go fuck themselves on the podcast. That used to be a hallmark. Am I losing my edge? But thank you for that email, Jordan. Uh, this is another email I got uh, from somebody, and uh, her name is ADADE, and she writes, Dear Beloved, your email was randomly picked by my foundation. You are to receive a donation of a million euros, which you must use at least 20% to touch the lives of the less privileged ones around you. I just kicked off my foundation. Read more details about how I become a millionaire. Kindly confirm the ownership of your email by sending your response to me immediately, and I shall explain in detail all you need to know. Well, I contacted her, and she gave me $200,000, and I've decided to use it to buy a $200,000 hat and drive through poor neighborhoods and let kids touch it. And I haven't done it yet because the uh, tires on my bike are flat, but I've got that hat on my mantle and oh there's so many diamonds on it it's gorgeous 
It's a stovepipe, but it's in crushed velvet. And I'm so grateful that I, I replied to her email. This is, every once in a while, I'll go to iTunes and look at the reviews that people put for the podcast. And this is one that I wanted to read. Um, it's titled, Good Content, But Such Cringy Comedy. I really like this podcast and find the content to be interesting, thought-provoking, and valuable. And by the way, they give it one out of five stars. I recommend for sure. That said, Paul's attempt at comedy in every single episode is so cringeworthy that I visibly do cringe and contort my face when he attempts to make any joke or silly comment. Many of the guests are noticeably uncomfortable when he does this, and others try to just go with it, but my God... I wish he could realize how profoundly unfunny he is, so much so that it is frustrating and hard to listen to. I want you to know how much work I have put into becoming profoundly unfunny. I studied the profoundly unfunniest comedians that I could find, and they are hard to find because they're clearly not well documented, but... I poured over their videotapes in my 20s, in my 30s, and I have tried to capture the awkward silence of their routines. And for you to be able to see that and recognize that greatness in me, it just means a lot to me. The work has paid off. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Golden Garbage. She identifies as bisexual. She's in her 20s and was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I never reported it. About two months ago, I wandered downtown to have a few beers and listen to some live music by myself. I ended up meeting a group of guys and had a few drinks with them instead of by myself. Um, and, and this gets uh, a bit graphic, by the way. Um, I blacked out at some point, which was odd because I hadn't drank enough. I ended up waking up in a guy's bed and he was fucking me in the ass. I threw up and told him to stop, but he just kept going. I hate myself for not fighting. There was a part of my brain that wanted him to still like me, to please him. I finally got out of his house and had to stumble a couple of miles back to where my car was parked. I bled for a couple of days after. I was also molested by my uncle when I was a toddler, and after I explained to my mother in detail what had happened, I was about two when I told her about the incident, the majority of the family took his side and insinuated I lied or made it up. He also molested his daughters, but their mother overlooked their recounts as well. Oh, and as a quick addition, I also exchanged my body for meth and cocaine a few times. She's also been physically and emotionally abused. As for the emotional abuse, I grew up in an insanely strict, reformed Baptist Christian church where my father was the pastor. Enough said, question mark. I continuously, inadvertently received this message that I was never good enough. Perfection was achievable, and I was a fuck-up for not making it. I was regularly spanked, which makes no sense to me now because I was probably the most docile, obedient child a parent could wish for. 
I would often leave the spank session with bruises. I grew up homeschooled and sheltered from most things that normal kids get to do and experience. My couple, first couple of relationships with guys were similarly controlling, manipulative, and demeaning. Again, I was never good enough. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Yes, I started dating a drug dealer who introduced me to meth. We had fun, and I liked a lot of the things about him. I was, still maybe am, conflicted because he was a beautiful person in so many ways, but he also hooked me onto meth, and I became dependent on him. He knew it, and he used the drugs to get me, my body, my commitment to him. It's fucked, it's, and it's even more fucked because I still like him. I also don't place the blame fully on him because I used him for drugs and sex also. Darkest thoughts. I sometimes think about just giving up, just saying fuck it and running away. Back to the drugs, the fucking, and the suicide that I would inevitably choose. Darkest secrets. Ha ha, do I get to write a novel? A therapist once agreed with me that I have every problem in the book. She was a good one. I've been the sexual assault victim. I've been the predator. I've thought about molesting children and I've watched child porn. I've been addicted to masturbating, addicted to porn, addicted to starving myself, and addicted to stuffing my body with food until I couldn't walk. I've regularly made myself walk miles in any weather while sick and without hardly any food in my system because I couldn't abide the thought of not working out for one day. I've been to rehab for alcoholism and relapsed when I got out. I've been addicted to meth and cocaine, and I recently stole some oxy from my super sweet employer. I've been to jail twice. I've been diagnosed with depression and also have ADHD. I hate myself some days. My biggest fear is that I will die a piece of garbage while knowing I could have been and done so much more. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being tied up or abused, it feels fucked up considering my past. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell the one man I ever loved and who loved me back that he doesn't need to be hopeless and depressed for his whole existence, that life can be good and beautiful, but that it takes time to change the lens it's viewed through. I would hope to share with him everything I'm learning through positive psychology. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to be well in my mind and to live a beautiful, strong, good life. And I also wish to love people fully and deeply and to be loved the same way in return. I wish to effect a change on a large scale, helping as many people as possible become well in their minds too. I wish to adopt babies and offer them an encouraging, freeing, completely accepting and loving environment to grow up in. I would love to help people realize just how fucking rad they are. Have you shared these things with others? God, ugh, here and there. Note to readers, rehab is the best idea if you want to divulge your deepest secrets in front of a group of similarly, similarly just as fucked up people. How do you feel after writing these things down? Kind of sad. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Don't share my negative thoughts. What has helped me most is to regard myself as I do one of my friends, to think of myself the same way. I often talk to myself in the third person with cheesy remarks like, damn girl, you're fucking killing it. And it's okay you ate a whole pizza. At least you're not anorexic anymore. 
Honestly, gratitude is also key. I'm so fucking lucky to have anything good that I do have, and daily dwelling on that shit helps a ton. Also, making time for the things that gave me life and inspiration is of the utmost importance. For me, hiking and yoga. Oh, and remember that everyone is in the same boat. People people are pretty fucking awesome, and I often find they're crazy relatable when things get down to the nitty-gritty stuff. Don't forget to laugh. Life is pretty funny, and nobody fucking knows what they're doing. It's so It's so true. All of us just stumbling, stumbling through our brief window in the universe, pretending that we know what the fuck we're doing. Thank you for that one. Uh, This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Why Bother? And she writes, I am in an unusually low depression slump such that it took me an extra hour and a half to get out of bed and four hours from waking up to finally stop weeping at the kitchen table and get to work. Work was a welcome distraction from feeling terrible, but as soon as I got home, the depression molasses settled back in. That's such a great phrase. My very stable and happy boyfriend texted, suggesting getting out of town this weekend, getting a nice hotel, and maybe going on a long hike. I'm so far from healthy at the moment, it's hard to imagine that even at a better time, that would sound fun. Just the thought makes me anxious with overwhelm. So I got weepy all over again and texted no, because I'm just too depressed to do anything and don't want to be a downer on his trying to have a good time either. If he took me somewhere special, I would feel obligated to feel anything better than awful. He responded that maybe a change of scene could help and that he'd be happy to just get the hotel room and take me to dinner and that even if I'm moody and buried in a book for dear life all day there instead of here, that's just fine. I'm still just as depressed, but now there's a deep gratitude in the mix for a partner loving and committed enough to want to spend and celebrate time with me at my worst. Thank you for that. And I can tell you, Personally, having a partner support you when you are depressed is really, really nice. My my girlfriend um, is so supportive when and and comforting when I'm in that place where nothing feels good and you know I don't want to kill myself, but I'm not thrilled about being alive and everything feels like an effort. It's just really nice to have somebody that doesn't question you. That just gives you a, a lap to lay your head down on and doesn't push you to, to do anything. Uh, these are some loves from a woman who calls herself, my fireplace is fake. And she writes, coming home from my second shift job, adjusting the blankets on my father's bed to tuck him in and kiss him on the forehead, then checking on my various pets before curling up in my cold room under a double fleece blanket. Being too hot to sleep under said double fleece blanket. Then being too cold sleeping on top of it. So you instead opt for sleeping under it and the bed is warm from your sleeping on it and you feel all warm and cozy. Not having to merge with anyone on a highway on ramp. Just put your blinker on and glide over. Submitting my monthly car payment and knowing I don't have to worry about it for another month. Smelling someone who just came in from being outside in chilly weather and they smell like snow without there actually being any snow to shovel. That is a great one. 
I love having the same barista at my favorite coffee shop and having her remember stuff I tell her and knowing exactly how I like my coffee. And smiling and being polite to front-facing retail employees and making small talk while checking out. This is new for me, but I love being a good customer. Thank you for that. Those are awesome. And then finally, uh, this is a love by a woman who calls herself therapist who goes to therapy. And she writes, I commute on the New York City subway each day, all the way from Brooklyn to the Bronx. My commute tends to be stressful and draining, but I do love going over the Manhattan Bridge on the B train each morning. Sometimes if the sun is rising as I go over the bridge, the colors of the sunrise reflect off the skyscrapers in lower Manhattan, and it's beautiful. What a, what a beautiful picture. With, with the image of uh, somebody creepy sitting next to you on the train. Just to offset, just to balance the beautiful sunset. Thank you for that. Thank thank all of you for uh, for your your great surveys and um, supporting the show. And I hope you got something out of our episode today. And if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, um, you are not alone. And there is help. And I hope you take that first step if you haven't already towards towards asking for help. And um, you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely.